Well, I would have prepared a sermon, but I thought the world was going to end. So I'm just going to make one up now. Just kidding. You know, a lot of people ask this question. What is God like? Uh, it's a common request. And it's not necessarily because they, they want better theology or anything like that. Uh, more often, it's because they don't understand something, a situation in their lives. And so they, they say, hey... You know, where is God in this? What is God doing? Why would God allow this to happen? You hear it a lot after tragedies like our country has been facing recently, right? And people stop and they say, where is God when these types of things happen? And how could God allow for these things to happen? And some people even, you know, is God really loving? Does God care about us? Because if He did, it, it doesn't seem that He would have allowed for this to happen. I'm sure in your own personal life that, that you've experienced moments, if you were honest, that, that somewhere inside of you, you just stopped in, in, your, in your mind and your heart and you wondered, how can God really be in this? What does this say right now about what God is like? And so this question is pretty common. People want to know what God is like. Even people who don't necessarily believe in God like to talk about God and what He's like. And I found that, that a lot of people who don't believe in God seem to find reasons to say mean things about God. And, and so everybody's kind of curious about what He's like. And I think we'll find the answer to this question, what God is like and how we can know what God is like and how God interacts with our situations and what He wants for us and from us uh, in a story that we'll look at today. But before we get to the story, we need to understand this. It happens on the night before Jesus was crucified. And you say, whoa, we're jumping to the end here. But, but this is about the birth of Jesus, really, I promise. And on the night before Jesus was crucified, He was celebrating the Passover meal with His disciples. And the Passover was a celebration, a holiday for the Jewish people, where they would remember how God had set them free from slavery under the people of Egypt. And so in the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament, you read this story about how God releases them through a series of miracles out from the slavery and the oppression that they were under. And so every year, the Jewish people would celebrate this holiday. Now Jesus knows in this last Passover that the next day He is going to be crucified. And so Jesus begins to up the ante, really. He begins to say, hey, you need to know some things before I leave you. And so he's trying to make clear to his disciples that he is going to die. But the disciples don't really understand this. They, they don't grasp what's going on because for a Jewish person looking forward to the Messiah, they were looking forward to somebody who would start a military takeover, would kick out the Roman government, and would set up his earthly kingdom right here and, and would rule over the entire planet as the, as the leader of Israel. And so these disciples, being Jewish men, they're, they're looking at Jesus. And every time Jesus says, here's the thing, I need to go die. They're going, that's some kind of metaphor. I don't know what he's talking about, but I know that my Messiah can't die, and I'm pretty convinced this guy's the Messiah because I've seen him feed 5,000, I've seen him walk on water, and I've seen him do all kinds of miracles. And so this is one of those parable things. I mean, he's just telling us a story, but it'll all make sense later. They just cannot grasp the fact that Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to die. This is pretty well illustrated in, in the interaction while they're at the Last Supper. Is it's called the, the Passover meal. And here's what we read. Jesus said, 
Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself, and will glorify Him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for Me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are My disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked Him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now you see quite clearly here Peter's confusion, right? Jesus says, I'm going somewhere. Peter says, Well, I'm going to come too. And Jesus says, You can't come. And Peter says, I will come even if I have to die. And it's really interesting because Peter is thinking, I will fight for you. I will go to war for you. I will help you start this kingdom. But as soon as Jesus is arrested, his whole paradigm is shifted. And and all of a sudden he goes, I don't even know that man because he could not grasp that Jesus was going to die. Now, I just want to point this out. I think it's really cool that Jesus is on the night before his death. and, And the people that he was thinking about and caring about were his disciples and not himself. I think it's always an amazing thing when somebody faces difficult times in life, but they care more about the others they're with. And I love that Jesus is about to go into this exhortation, this encouragement. He's about to say to his disciples, hey, look, I'm going to die, but here's what you need to know because it's going to be hard on you. And I just want to point out that I think it is one of the most loving things that, that we can see in the, in the Scriptures, that Jesus, knowing he was going to be crucified and die one of the most horrible deaths the world has ever known, was thinking about encouraging his disciples. And then we turn our Bibles to John, yeah, John 14, 1 through 4, and, and this is what it says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. Now, it's pretty interesting here. Because Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples, and for them, it makes sense to say, hey... I'm going to come back. We will be together again someday. They've spent three years following this guy everywhere. And now he says, I'm going away. But hey, here's the good news. I'm going away so that I can prepare a place for you. Now, when you read the word believe there, it's an interesting word in the book of John. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? And you see that word believe and it's, it's the word in the book of John that, that stands for everything that gets us salvation in Christ. It really means to give your life to Jesus and to be connected to him and accept and believe the gift that he offered when he died on a cross to save people from sins. And so Jesus is saying to them on one level, the reader of John knows that Jesus is saying, you need to give your life to me and you need to be my follower. But here's what I think in, in the context of that last meal that Jesus is having with his disciples. Here's what I think he means. I think he's saying this. It's going to look really bad in just a few moments. In a couple hours, I'm going to get arrested. I won't be with you anymore and I'll die. But I need you to continue to have confidence in me. You've seen this in action movies, right? Where, where a guy's running around and he's protecting a girl. And then he goes, hey, I got to leave you to save your life. And then, he, and then she's like, no, 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 don't. Right? And then, and then he always looks at her and he goes, 
do you trust me? And usually they just met, so it's always a little weird. But he's like, do you trust me? And then she says yes, and he goes away, and he saves your life. And I think that's kind of the idea between with Jesus and his disciples here. He's saying, hey, it's going to look really bad. It's going to look like I'm abandoning you, like I have been beaten, like my kingdom won't come, but, but I need you to believe in me. I need you to maintain the same trust in me that you've had this whole time. And here's the reason he gives them, because he's going to prepare a place for them. Now, the King James Version has done something bad to this verse right here. I'm sorry if you love the King James, but it did something bad. The word mansions in the King James is is what we read here. It says, I'm going to prepare mansions for you. And so the picture that we always get, and I'm sorry to break all of your hearts, is that someday we'll get to heaven and we'll be like, hey, you all go to your mansions and I'll go to my mansion and, and we'll just, I'll party by myself and you party by yourself and it will be all right. Uh, but the word mansion, when the King James Version was written hundreds of years ago, actually didn't refer to mansions the way that we think of them. It's an old English word that now means something entirely different. And the word actually refers to rooms. And so Jesus' point here is not, hey, I'm going somewhere else. And I'm going to build you a huge house and then it will be cool. Because for the disciples, I don't think that would have mattered. The disciples had left houses, some of them nice houses, to be with Jesus. And so for Jesus to say, hey, I'm going to go build you a huge house, it's like counterproductive for them. They're they're going to be thinking like, I left a nice house, dude, to come be with you because I think that you are the answer. And so what does a house have to do with this? But the real translation means rooms. And so the point here is not that I'm going to go build you a giant house. The point is this. I'm going to prepare room for you with God and with me. And so Jesus is looking at these people and he's saying, Hey, hey, disciples, I'm going to leave, but good news for you. I'm leaving so that I can prepare a spot for us where we will be together forever and we will be in the presence of God. We just finished a study on heaven here at this church and and we saw quite clearly that the most important aspect of heaven in the Bible is that it will be in the presence of God. And here Jesus says, I'm going to prepare that spot for you. So that when I come back, you can be in the presence of God and with me forevermore. Now that's more comforting, I believe, for the disciples than a mansion. And I think it should be for us too. And then here we we turn our attention. And it says this. Thomas, one of Jesus' friends and followers, that's my addition, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? This is a logical question, right? I mean, these guys are so confused. They are not thinking about death. It's the furthest thing from their mind. They think Jesus is going somewhere else. And so Thomas, who you know is the doubter, he asked this very logical question. I think he's a logical guy. He says, Jesus, this is weird. You're telling us that we're going to come be with you, but we don't know how to get there. We don't have iPhones. So what are we going to do? And listen to the words of Jesus. This is how he answers. It's one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus looks at Thomas, and Thomas doesn't really understand all of the theological nuances, I'm sure. But he says, hey, the only way that you can get to the presence of God in a place called heaven is through me. So we read the rest of the New Testament, we know that that means by believing that Jesus died on a cross and that he rose again in order to conquer our sin and death and that we must give our lives to him. And that's, that's the pretty clear picture that the Bible paints for us. 
But there's something really important here. This is a passage of Scripture, a verse, where Jesus says, I am the only way. It's interesting because it's pretty common in our world today to believe that every way gets you into heaven. You believe what you want to believe and, and you believe what you want to believe and we'll both end up in the same place eventually. It all works out for the good of people, right? I actually met with a friend of mine the other day, a non-Christian, and it was interesting because she holds to this belief quite clearly. It's cool that you believe that, but I'm going to believe this and maybe we can believe that too and, and, and it'll all work out in the end. And then she says to me, as we're talking, it was a great conversation, she says, you know, I like Jesus, though. Not so fond of Christians, you hear this a lot in the world today, but I I like that Jesus guy. And then she affectionately called him a hippie. And not even thinking about this passage so much, I I said to her, I mean, I I wasn't preparing a sermon or anything in my head, I, I said, well, there's one problem. I said, Jesus says that there's only one way into heaven. And so either you have to admit that Jesus is an arrogant, wrong, wretched person, or you must give your life to him. She looked back at me, and she said, if he said that, then I don't know how you can like him, basically. And the truth is, and I hate to tell you this, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but when you read about Jesus in the Bible, Jesus isn't this guy that everybody can kind of agree on Oh, yeah, it's nice. We celebrate his birthday. It's cool. Jesus is the most polarizing figure in the history of humanity. Just about every person that that interacts with Jesus either hated him and wanted him dead or absolutely loved him and wanted to follow him around everywhere he went. And the truth is the Bible tells us that we must make that choice. Jesus says that he came, that, that people would be separated. That father and son would disagree with each other and be at war over him. And a lot of times, because the church wants to get people into the seats, what happens is they're like, hey, Jesus is cool. Don't worry about it. You can kind of like him, kind of not like him. No big deal. But Jesus says, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only through me do you get into heaven. Now what do you think about me? And what I want to make clear to you is this, that you can't be maybe on Jesus. You're either all in or you're all out. Because if Jesus is lying here, he's a horrible person that has led me astray. But if he is telling the truth, then he is the only way into heaven. I'll tell you, I've decided that he was telling the truth. And I think that logically that makes sense. And I think that it can be shown to be the most logical conclusion as far as religions are concerned and as far as getting into heaven goes. But if Jesus was wrong, don't say, yeah, cool hippie guy. Because he said here, hey, you're not going to heaven apart from relationship with me. And I want to make that very clear to you today. Now, Jesus goes on and he says, if you really know me, you will know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, this seems out of place at first, but what happens next kind of gives us the, the, the thinking behind the disciples. Because it says, Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough. For us. So here in a different form is the age old adage, right? I mean, if I could just see God in this, then everything would be okay. Philip looks at him, he's like, hey, I don't understand a thing you're saying. I don't know what you're talking about going away in mansions and all that. But if we could just see God, then we would know everything and we would be okay. Everything would be okay. 
And Jesus' response is so important. He says, don't you know me, Philip? That's a really hard thing to hear, right? From somebody that you're close to. I mean, just catch the weight of what Jesus is saying. If somebody says that to me that I feel close to, I think I'm kind of disappointed. I'm like, man, yeah, I know you. I love you. I've hung out with you a million times. Have you ever been there? Somebody looks at you and like, don't you even know me? Of course, I didn't want you to say that. Of course, that was stupid. You know, I mean, don't you even know me? And Jesus says that to Philip, and then he continues, even after I have been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus says, look, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how God responds, if you want to know what God is feeling about certain situations, then here's what you need to do. You need to look at me because I am in the Father and the Father is in me and we are one. Jesus says to Philip, and I believe to us through, through that conversation, hey, if you want to know what God's purposes are, if you want to know what God's plan is, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how God feels about the tragedies that our country is facing, then look at the person Jesus. We've been talking about why Christmas matters, and the truth is Christmas matters because Jesus shows us in a way that we can understand what the God of the universe is like. People want to say, well, God can be any way you picture Him. I mean, the God that the Mormons serve and the Muslims serve, that's all the same God. But Jesus is saying, look, God is like me. You don't just get to make things up. I am God, and when you want to know about God, you can look at my life. That's what Jesus says. And I tell you, I think this is so important for us today as, as we face a world that, that tries to tear down our God and make Him look bad. And we face a world with all the hurts and the pains and the tragedies that we see going on around us all the time. I think we just need to understand more what God is like. And, and Jesus looks at Philip, and I believe He's looking at you and I, and He's saying, look, if you want to know what God is like, then you just take a look at my life. Now, the Bible records for us much of the life of Jesus, and so it becomes the greatest source of information for what God is like. And, and I know that, that much of this is, is dependent on whether or not the Bible is reliable, right? If we're going to say, well, this Jesus character, he shows me what God is like, and I can only read about it in the Bible, the question becomes, how can I trust God? the Bible. And so uh, that's outside the scope of what I want to talk about this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to post an article on Facebook uh, tomorrow morning. We will post that for you that you are able to read over the holiday season. And so look for that and it will talk about the reliability of Scripture. But this morning, instead of, of trying to talk you into the Bible's reliability and its accuracy and all that, which I wholeheartedly believe in, I want to read you three stories about Jesus. It's not all the stories, it's not the full picture of what God is like, but I think in these three stories, we really see what God is like, and I think it's so different than sometimes how we picture Him, or how the world tries to paint Him. And so, the first one's in John eleven seventeen through 34. On His arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany, city Bethany, was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. 
When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Mary answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. I think so often, too often, we look at at God and we think, God's up there and, and he's ruling over us and he wants me to follow a certain set of rules. But he doesn't really care. I mean, God isn't up there feeling bad because... 20-something kids were killed in a school shooting. He doesn't care that, that people are, are fighting and there's wars all around us. But, but Jesus is so moved by the loss of a single life that he breaks down and cries. And it's so interesting to me because Jesus knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. But he looked, notice that he looked at the people around him and he saw their hurt and their pain. And it brought him to a place of tears. And here's what I think you need to know about God today through Jesus. I think you need to know that he deeply and passionately cares about the hurts and the struggles in your life. It's so easy to say, yeah, God, you're up there, but you don't really care. I believe that God looks down and he sees the things that you deal with, the things that you struggle with, the hurts and the pains. And he is moved by those things and has compassion for you. Here's another story. Mark 12:13 through 17. Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and look at it. They brought him a coin and asked him, And he asked them, whose image is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now, this is only fascinating if you know a little bit of the background. The imperial tax was a a big controversy for the Jewish people. Think like gun control right now, right? And you had people on both sides. Some said, hey, we have to pay the tax to the Roman government because that's the right thing to do and we live here and that's just something we should do. On the other side of that, you had people who said, no, no, no. Those are the dirty Romans and if you give them money, then you can't really love God and you are a bad person and and you just can't do that. And, And it was one of those topics, like I said, like gun control, where there were only two sides. You look at somebody and you say, you pay the tax? And if they say yes, then you start yelling at them. If they say no, then you give them a hug. You know, And that's how it was for these people. 
And so it's this, this controversy that just exists in their culture. And Jesus, in two sentences, is able to solve their controversy for them. Hey, show me the denarius. Hey, that's Caesar. Give it back to him. And all the people go, whoa, this guy is brilliant. Now, here's the thing. It's like for us, like I said again, if Jesus just walked into the room and we said, hey, should there be more gun control or not? And he said one thing and everybody in the room was like, yeah, I agree. That'd be crazy, right? And that's what he does for these people. And here's what I think it teaches us about God and what he's like. It it teaches us that God is full of wisdom. Sometimes we look at the Bible and we're like, yeah, it's a nice book, but I mean, does it really apply to my life? But Jesus, when he walked around on this earth, he said things that were so awesome that people just wanted to hear him talk. They just wanted to be around so that he could he could teach them and they could understand the things that they had been wondering about forever and ever. And even when they tried to trap him, it didn't work. And so here's the thing that I think that all of us need to know. I think that, that it's this. When we look to God, we need to recognize that God has the answers. I think so often we just go through life trying to make decisions, trying to do things, trying to avoid sin because God said so or whatever. But God is the ultimate source of truth. And every difficult decision that you have, every everything that you question in your life can be solved through God. Let me tell you one more story. Luke 22, 33 through 34. Jesus is about to be crucified. This is just after this dinner with the disciples. And it says this, When they came to the place called the skull... They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. So Jesus is hanging on a cross. And listen to what he says next. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The ultimate thing that we need to know about God is that he is gracious, that he loves you and I, and he wants us to be forgiven for our sins. And, and the truth is, as we look to the life of Jesus and we learn what God is about, what God wants for us is for us to be forgiven, to come into a relationship with him. We look at him as this taskmaster who just is just a, a tyrant over us sometimes, but the truth is God wants to forgive and love us and have a personal relationship with us. And the Bible makes clear that that is available for every single person who will say, Jesus, I believe what you did up on that cross, and I want to accept the forgiveness that you offer. Christmas matters because God came to earth, and now we understand what God is like. And too often we neglect that, and we say, yeah, that life of Christ is great, and we skip straight to his death, as I've said before, and it's like, well, he was crucified, let's talk about that, and let's sing about that. But Jesus lived for 33-ish years on this planet, and he showed us every single day what God is like. He showed us that he's compassionate and cares about you. He showed us that he's wise and awesome, and he showed us that he ultimately wants to have a relationship with us, and he's offered us the forgiveness of sins that can get us into that relationship. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for who you are, your awesomeness, your power and your love for us, Lord. And and, and just too often, God, we just neglect the fact that, that you gave us the most tangible description of what you're like by showing us in human form. Lord, and I don't think we could have understood if you just stood up in heaven or sat or whatever you do up there, God, and, and you just said to us, hey, this is what I'm like, here's a checklist. But, but God, you actually, through your Son, showed us what you were like, Lord, and the picture that you gave us 
is amazing, Lord. I mean, to think that you care about the things that I care about is incredible. I mean, God, you created me, and yet you, you, you see when I'm sad, and you see when I struggle, and you see when I hurt, and, and you, you want to be there for me. And Lord, I just thank you so much for that. I pray for all of us, God, that as we celebrate Christmas last three days, and as we move past Christmas, God, that, that we would never neglect to open up the Bible and look at what you are like. And Lord, I believe as we look at what you are like, that, that we, God, are drawn to worship. And I pray, Lord, that in this next year that's coming, God, that we're about to start, and over the next three days as we celebrate your birth, that we would, God, just be excited about this season and, and about you, Lord, because we look at, at the description you give us by being here on this planet with us, and we say, man, God is just unbelievably awesome. Lord, it's just amazing that you would come down and walk around us. I, I just... I can't fathom it, God, and it's almost something that I, I fail to understand, Lord, but you did, and I'm so thankful for it, and I pray that each of us in this room would be thankful for it. Father, um, we love you, and God, we're just about to worship you now with a couple more songs, and I pray as we do that, Lord, we would worship you for who you are, and we would remember that we only understand that because of what you did when you came down to this earth. We pray these things in your name. Amen.